This is the right direction where we talk to professional storytellers and writers and we discuss their craft and how they sell it. I'm your host, AG McDonald, and let's get started with the show. All right, we are here today with Tommy Siegel, who is a comic artist and musician and a pretty damn good one as well, I might say. Thanks. Happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you so much for coming. Um, and so you did something pretty impressive. You had 500 daily comics in a row i did i did it was that a very strange insane. it was a strange thing to do <laughs> that is a huge yeah. amount of work a huge commitment it was crazy i mean i got the idea from somebody else so there was another comic artist who i watched do a 365 day challenge um you thought i'm gonna so- go one better <laughs> Yeah, well, it's funny. I was just going to do the same thing he did. And then when I hit the 365 day mark, I was like, it was kind of gaining steam at that point. And I was starting to kind of like snowball just in terms of the people who were, who were following it. So I just decided to keep it going. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the great thing I found, at least for me, is that your comics have a bit of variety to them. Like, cause I was reading through your new book and um, some of them, have that kind of like just absurd, ridiculous humor that you can't help but laugh at. Like, uh, I think one of my favorite ones was um, the bottomless um, brunch or whatever it was. And like everyone had no pants. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) It's just a simple thing, but it's so funny. But then they range from that sort of absurd humor into kind of like thought provoking humor and, and actually making statements about things too. And so I thought it was nice that you had like that balance, that it was a bit of, a bit of both. Yeah. I mean, I, I enjoy having that. I mean, I, cause I, you know, I like both. I think, we, I think we all do, you know, it's like sometimes you, it's great to see something hard hitting and hitting and political. Like sometimes you want to watch, you know, last week tonight with John Oliver and sometimes you just want to watch dumb and dumber, you know? So it's uh, to me, they're both, uh integral parts of what i want to express although <laughs> i have been noticing that um it, it's i i think that that um that variety which i really enjoy having that freedom can give some people whiplash because they <laughs> they'll like they expect every comic to have deeper meaning because no. some of them see, do see i i like that there was a bit of a, a break <laughs> and a bit of variety because you kind of if if everything i mean not that you ever do that but like what I imagine if it was constantly political all the time is basically like every sitcom now, like every sitcom just makes thinly veiled political jabs and calls it humor. And I'm like, okay, yeah, but we get it. But like you're hitting it a little bit hard. So yeah, I, I yeah, like that I, you kind of gave it some time to breathe before you thanks. hit on to I'm the next political joke. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed that. Cause yeah, I, I definitely have, like I've posted really dumb cartoons before that, you know, like, um, there's, there's one in the book that I did that was just, you know, the cover of Moby Dick, but it's Moby butt. And it's just a big whale coming out of the ocean with a big butt. And like, I, <laughs> see, I, I it's remember, so simple, but it's, it's so funny. But well, what's funny to me is I had been, um, <laughs> I, I had, I think posted a political cartoon the day before. And so I had all these comments of people saying like, I don't get it with the Moby butt comic. And I, I just had to respond being like, there's li- I don't know how to explain this one. There's nothing to explain. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you should have left it and, and left people to think that you were insanely intelligent and they just couldn't figure it out. 
yeah, 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 yeah. It's a, it's a mystery. It's not. It's it's, it's a metaphor it's, for it's something. More... I don't know what it is, but it's a metaphor for something. <laughs> if you think it's just a butt joke, you're not thinking hard enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we'll get to the um, thought-provoking stuff in a moment, but I thought um, we could sort of start with just you explaining who you are, a little bit about yourself, and we can start talking about that for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, uh, my name is Tommy Siegel. Um, I'm a cartoonist and a musician. Um, although these days with COVID, I would definitely say I'm more of a cartoonist than a musician. Because, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I have a band called Jukebox the Ghost. We've been around for 15 years now. Um, and so touring was kind of my like my bread and butter for the last decade. Um, and I kind of started cartooning more seriously on on the road. Uh, so yeah, my cartoon habit kind of came back from childhood just, um, on long drives, you know, just driving around the U S in a van. Um, and I started taking essentially just doodle requests from fans of the band on social media. So it kind of became a shtick for us on tour. It became called like van doodles. So, so people would, you know, tweet a request, um, like they'd be like, draw the band as a you know, a three-headed cactus or whatever. And I would, I would draw it and tweet it back at them. Um, and so that kind of reawakened a dormant hobby for me. And I've, um, yeah, it, I took on that 500 day challenge. And ever since then, cartooning has really like taken over my life, but um, I'm loving it. It's just, it's nice to like have a new sandbox to play in. Um, I think it's pretty rare that, you know, in your thirties, you get like an opportunity to just t- jump into a completely different sandbox. So um, they're still very excited about it and just like sort of having fun with the, the freedom and newness of it all. Yeah. That's kind of that creative honeymoon phase. Like it's, I mean, although you're probably not in the honeymoon phase after like 500 days. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I still, you know, I still feel like I'm in the honeymoon phase in some ways because I don't have the, um, I think once you get, when you're in a genre for a while, like, you know, as a musician, like you, you can kind of get stuck in the internal politics of the art itself. Like in terms of, uh, you know, with art, I'm, or excuse me, with, with, um, with music, I think I'm a lot of times thinking about how other musicians will perceive what I'm making because I, I, I've developed that kind of critical eye and for better or for worse, I don't yet have that with cartooning. You know, I want to keep getting better and better. Um, and I'm always trying to push myself, but I'm not. Um, yeah, I have no idea if other cartoonists like my work. And I like I'm kind of OK with that because I don't really know. I don't really know the, um, you know, what's considered taboo in the, in the form. And I think sometimes, you know, sometimes it works to my detriment and sometimes it works to my advantage because I think when you kind of stumble around blindly, you can end up doing something different by accident. Um, but yeah, I'm just enjoying being in a new, a new field and kind of getting to know what's out there. There's just so many great web comics and um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting field to be a part of. But I think, I think you've hit the nail on the head too, that like as much as you kind of need to go out and try to, establish like what boundaries you should set for yourself when when starting a new creative endeavor like i've spoken to many authors on here who talk about their process of of becoming authors whether it be traditional publishing indie publishing any of those kinds of things they all talk about it and they all have different approaches and i think 
often those people who get stuck in a rut of saying, I have to do A, then B, then move through to C, and then that'll mean I can do D. Those people who get so caught up in the process and what all these quote unquote professionals are telling them, often those people don't succeed because they're not taking risks and they're not taking any kind of chances. So they, they don't develop anything new. Whereas as you say, if you're sort of stumbling through the darkness for a little while, you can create a style that's not necessarily trying to mimic someone who's already out there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I kind of, yeah. I, and I think a lot of the references that I make are also maybe old enough that people don't quite recognize them now. Like I can tell a lot of my like younger audience isn't like super into like the far side, let's say, which was definitely like a very formative comic for me growing up. Um, so to me, like, to me, I'll do a comic and be like, that's so far side, you know? Um, but nobody seems to really pick up on it. (laughs) Yeah. We'll run with it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, so have you always sort of had that, that comedy background, like not even necessarily commercially, but like, have you always been interested in comedy or is it something that's developed over time? Cause it's one of those tricky things like, comedy is so subjective and it's so difficult to get right that sometimes, sometimes people are just naturally good at it. And sometimes people have to like work on it for a really long time to, to become funny. Uh, Yeah. I don't, I mean, I still feel like I'm finding my voice all the time. Um, Cause yeah, I I haven't done any formal, you know, there's, I, I know a lot of people who've kind of done like, let's say the upright citizens brigade or improv or writing classes or kind of, read about it um or auditioned for things i I, i'm just totally stumbling through the darkness and um you know i i I don't so to be honest like i've had people ask like how you write a joke and i don't know i don't know um I, i don't really i you know it's uh joke structures and that kind of thing isn't something that there's a lot of comic artists who i've noticed are really good at that like they have this sense of timing and what should happen in, in what panel to hit the hardest in the, in the, in the final one. Um, but for me, it's just more, you know, going on a walk and thinking of a, thinking of a funny idea or being on a phone call with a friend and we start riffing on something and I go like, Oh, that would be a good comic. Um, so yeah, I don't really have a comedy background and um, I feel like I'm just, I'm, I definitely feel like I'm still a baby <laughs> in that. Well, form, so You've just reminded me talking about panels and stuff like that. Random thought, but um, have you ever played Joking Hazard? Because I feel like that uh, I haven't. I've heard of this. <laughs> so it's it's um, cyanide and happiness, but it's like you, it's almost like Cards Against right. Humanity. You put down two panels, and then everyone else deals one card to show their final panel. That's right. Yeah, that, and yeah, which it is a can great lead idea for a game. to some hilarious results. That's great. Yeah, I mean. Um, I've always, I always found it particularly telling that, um, um, I mean, not to talk about the far side again, because there's so many other comics I love, but for some reason we can keep coming back there. Um, but there's a great, uh, far side anthology. That's like the, the their tent. It's like his 10 year anniversary edition. And the, f- it was always telling to me the funniest part of the whole book is just a section where he put in um, all these comics he did where the newspaper accidentally switched the captions with another comic. In, <laughs> in, in, in this case, it was a newspaper who kept switching it with Dennis the Menace. Um, and both comics become 10 times funnier with the captions just being wrong. 
Um, See, I feel like I, you've got a game in, in, in itself there, like taking different captions and applying them to different pictures. Yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, what I'm envisioning is now like, you know, New Yorker comics, just like the classic single panel with the quote at the bottom. Like there's probably a game in there where you just match the quote with the, the comic. Probably. <laughs> maybe I should keep this secret. I need to copyright this. Yeah, you need to you need to get on to that. You make millions. <laughs> so I guess you've kind of already answered this next question I have for you, but I'm sort of talking about the process of how to craft a joke, which you've said that you sort of don't know how. Um, but see, to me, like anytime I've done any kind of writing where you try to include a comic character, like in your head, it'll be funny and then you'll write down the line and then you'll, you'll go between this is funny to this is just painfully bad and it's cringy as hell um, because there's no audience. And I guess it kind of reminds me of, um, I'm a huge British TV fan. I mean, I love all TV, but I do love British sitcoms as well. And so there was one thing when um, the absolutely fabulous movie came out, it was slightly jarring in the beginning because there was no laugh track. And it's not that right. I need the laugh track to know that it's funny. It's just, that's the difference between the energy that people laughing in the moment has versus when it's all pre-recorded. So like, that's kind of the difference between telling a joke in person and you know, writing down a joke that you're going to show to someone later is you don't know how people are going to respond. So how, how do you deal with that? I suppose. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I was talking maybe a little too um, innocently about like, you know, I, I, it's true that I don't know the kind of structure of comedy academically, but I've certainly like been doing it a lot, you know, in terms of like, I feel like early on in the 500 days of comics project, like I, I go back and I'm like, Oh, you didn't know how to tell a joke, you know? Cause it would, it would just be sort of like a lot of bullet point lists were like a thing that I did early on, like kind of silly illustrations with bullet points. And some of them were funny and some of them weren't, but I was just kind of throwing everything at the wall and seeing what stuck. Um, and then later I just started to kind of figure out what was funny, but it was kind of more by like gut or by, um, you know, I, I definitely value, like, I have this brain trust of friends who none of them are comedians in any way, but there's like, you know, it's like four or five people that I send every comic I do to and just go like, is this funny, you know, um, or send them a few options and they kind of, they'll kind of vote on it. So, and, and also I, I feel like I learn a lot just by um, putting it on the page because I'll have an idea that I'll think is really funny and then I, you know, just like when you write a song on an acoustic guitar and then you record it and listen back to it, it's just a totally different experience. And you learn what parts of the DNA work and what parts don't when you're kind of like just in experiencing the art rather than making it. Um, and I feel that with comics too. When I'm making it, I don't really know if it's working. It's only when I finish it, quote unquote, that I can look at it and take a step back and go like, nope, tear it down <laughs> or yeah. yep. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think writing is a similar process because you're writing things and you'll think, Oh, this is the best thing ever. And then you might read it the next day and you think this is garbage. What was I thinking? Or, you know, it could go the other way too, but it is that um, taking a step back and actually looking at it from the consumer's point of view, rather than the creator's point of view, that they're, they're two completely yeah. different things. 
Yeah, and like even just the act of like, I don't know if you find this too, but like, you know, if you're typing something, even just the act of printing it and then reading oh, it on yeah, the page, absolutely. it's a completely different experience. Completely. I have to, I have to do that. I know, you know, I'm killing rainforests and doing it, but you know, I have to do it. Um, it, if I was to edit a piece of writing on the computer, I would go over it again and again and again, and it just wouldn't sink in. It wouldn't work. If I print it out on a piece of paper and then just scribble notes all over the top of it till it's barely legible. Um, if I do that, it, I get a hundred times faster, like results totally with editing totally. and it's, it's such a weird thing because it's the same piece of writing but changing it just seems to make a difference i don't know what that is yeah it's like yeah i think the finality of paper because you can't change it all of a sudden lets your brain go like start to start start to think of all the ways going you could change it mode. whereas when you're on a computer or something the editing possibilities are, are infinite. So you, you almost just lose perspective completely because at any point you could delete a sentence at any point you could delete a word. Um, you have like ultimate God power over, over that document. Whereas it's in your, when it's in your hands and printed and you, you see that, that one wrong word, it just like, it hurts your brain. You got to get rid of it. You know, it does. <laughs> yeah. But then, then you the, can't, you know, <laughs> but then the weird thing is when writing, um, I have to do it on the computer first, then print it out and then edit it. So like the paper thing doesn't work during the writing phase. And maybe that's to do with the fact that, you know, while you're just putting your word salad down on the page to begin with, you can always go back and change things and, and all that before you're ready to edit. And maybe that's why I need the computer for that part. Um, but there is definitely a huge difference. Yeah. It, it, it is amazing how like, and, and I try and watch for that, the, just the, the, the amazing mental difference between like technological creation and sort of tactile creation and just how different it feels and how, what it just the, the kind of writing or art or music that you make on a computer versus in reality. And they can augment, they can help each other, but there's such different parts of the brain, even though in theory they are working from a similar place. There's just something different about it. Yeah. Well, I, um, I found that recently, like I'm not particularly good at drawing or anything, but like I, I do it a bit here and there. Um, and I decided I've, cause I, I, I have this book full of things and, you know, draw some cartoons and whatever else on there. But then I thought I'm going to do digital art. Cause like, how hard can it be right to transfer what I know with a pencil to what I know with a digital pencil? Well, it turns out it's very hard and it's a completely different skill set to, to master. Like you would think that they'd be directly transferable, but they're not. Although, although I do have to ask, what did you, uh, what was your digital choice? Like, did you get a Wacom tablet or something? Or was yeah. It, was yeah. It? So I just, okay. I got the, the, the um, tablet. Now I know that it's, it's easier when it's one with a video screen, but I was like, yeah, I'm not committing that much money to something that I don't know if I'm going to keep going <laughs> with. But yeah, so well, it's just the smallest tablet, but that tablet obviously takes a different skill set. You've got to work about work on your pressure and your smooth moves and all the rest of well, that. And, so, the, and just the act of looking at a screen that's at, while you're drawing somewhere else. Um, yeah. And, and actually, if it make, it, this might make you feel better about that attempt. Um, I also tried that um, 
I was drawing all on paper and just scanning it in at first um, for the first like six months of the drawing challenge. Um, and then I, tr I got a Wacom tablet for a borrowed one from a friend and I tried it for weeks. I couldn't do it and I gave up and uh, went back to paper and it took, I, it took getting an iPad for me with, with like a, an iPad, you know, Apple pencil or whatever. Um, I think you would find that that works great. Like it's, because it, if you, you can get like these plastic screens that sort of have the texture of paper, like okay. they kind of have like a, a rough texture, um, that, you know, that has some kind of, uh, I don't know what you, resistance, you know, like paper does. Um, but if you do that, you know, it's, it's kind of magical because <laughs> it is like drawing on paper, but you can do anything with it. Um, well, so. that, that sounds really great because yeah, the, going through it on the tablet, I was just like, it was doing my hitting. Cause as you say, normally you're used to it coming straight out of the, the pencil, but you've got to be watching this screen, but also moving your hand and it, they're two different sizes too. Like the tablets, the different size to yep. the screen. And it's, it was, it was hard. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I hate it. I couldn't do it. I mean, I have a lot of friends who work that way, but I, I really, I really truly can't. Um, and, I mean, to be honest, when I got an iPad and started working that way, I had this thought of like, Oh no, no one's going to care about my art when they find out how easy this is, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, it's just, it makes, it makes the whole thing so much easier. Oh, well, I'll keep that in mind if I decide to, to pursue that into a digital way um so i guess going back to what we were talking about before about the um absurd jokes and the the thought-provoking jokes i think my favorite one that you had um in that entire book was and i'll see if i can find it it was the one about social media i think you just knocked it out of the park um i'll see if i can bring it up it was here it is. The types of onlining one mm. where you've got, you know, um, Instagram was performative leisure and um, my, one of my favorites was Tumblr, which was performing to no one. And um, the, the one that I think it hit the nail on the head for me mostly was probably because this is the platform that I've actually spent the most time on was the one about Twitter, the performative anxiety and depression. I was like, Oh, you have just nailed that. That is just exactly what these people do on there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I love that you pinpointed that one. Um, Cause I actually, I haven't even put that one out. That's just in the book. Um, so yeah, maybe I should, maybe I should put that one on the internet. Um, yeah, you know, I, I just kept noticing the different kinds of personalities that were sort of okay to, to have online and, and noticing in myself that I had a different personality based on which social media I was on. You know, there's just like kind of a mannerism and mood that's okay on each one. And for some reason on Twitter, that's the one where it's okay to be like, I'm depressed yeah. and anxious. And, and you know, even, even if you're not uh, doing that specifically, than doing things that re that sort of accidentally reveal that you are. <laughs> yeah, and and the, well, and the thing is, like, I think it just resonated because um, before I was doing this, I had a YouTube channel within the book community, and um, it just resonated because every time, like, they go on witch hunts like about four times a day, 
And whenever someone gets taken down, they're like, oh, I'm sorry, guys. I suffer from vague anxiety. And it's like, well, that doesn't, that's, that's no excuse for why you're being an asshole. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, I think you just nailed it. It was just Great. Perfect. I'm glad you liked it. And that's where, yeah, like just, just those, those moments where it's not even, it's not coming across as preachy. It's just simply poking fun at, because, because I guess it's poking fun at all the social medias. And that's something that's kind of a little bit bizarre about the whole thing is they all sort of stick to their own things, but they, they are all the same in the fact that they kind of, they have their rules. You're not allowed to break them. You're not allowed to set certain opinions, but you can go to the other one for that. And it's just like, it's that confirmation bias. People only want to hear what they want to hear, what makes them feel happy. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And people definitely like self-identify with one of them and think, (laughs) you know, there's this whole kind of crowd of like, kind of like alt Twitter kind of comedy people. And you can tell they kind of like, (laughs) like scoff at, you know, at at Instagram or whatever, but it's, you know, it's all the same. Yeah, no, it is. And I think that was one of the ones too, when you were talking about the the generational gap um, between new millennials or and old millennials or something like that. And you, you know, they're like, Oh, you know, I can't believe they're taking photos of their food or something. It's like, yeah, I can't wait to tweet about this. And it's like, (laughs) you're just as bad as one another. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's been an interesting thing to watch unfold in the last like decade and a half is just like the invention of social media and then enough time passing where we've now gotten to watch how generations get segmented across it. Cause I think for a minute it sort of felt like, Twitter is for everybody. Facebook is for everybody, you know? Um, and then it sort of became like, Facebook is for some people, but it's mostly for older people. Um, Instagram is for <laughs> millennials, you know? TikTok is for generation Gen Z, you know? Um, it's been interesting to watch kind of the, you know, um, social media kind of like become age stratified. Yeah, no, it's 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 bizarre that um because i guess tiktok really kind of exemplifies the i don't know the i think you wrote it the adhd nature of of the newer generations because they're bombarded with so much stuff they don't have an attention span and it's like you know you can only have videos that go for like 20 seconds or something like yeah yeah i mean to be honest i i um i don't know about you i have um maybe I'll cave at some point, but I just sort of was like, I think TikTok might be where I'm drawing the line. I think I'm okay being like an old person (laughs) and not joining this. I think, and and we'll get to this in a second in a bit more detail, but I think I am just a flat out old person because I saw a commercial for TikTok and it was people sitting down. And then when they sat down, they were in different clothes. And I was like, is this what passes for entertainment? And then of course, in my head, I'm like, now I'm the angry man, you know, could you get off my lawn? You yeah. know, but I'm just like, I, I don't care if that makes me old. I'm like, what a waste of time <laughs> watching people sitting down and changing their clothes. I don't understand the entertainment value in that. Right. Right. Yeah. But then I'm, I'm kind of, when it comes to me, I'm kind of like a grumpy old man about most social media because like i just see so many people wasting so much time 
on stuff that doesn't matter. Like, again, when I was in the book community, there was things like they had big arguments over whether you should dog ear the pages in your books or, you know, stuff like that. And I'm just like, who, who cares? Or like one, one of the ones that was one of the final straws. And I was like, this is not the place for me is they had, they had this, this trend where you had to post a photo of yourself in your underwear with a book cover matching um, your underwear. And I was like, you know, wow, what a brave, you know, intellectual and desperate plea for attention. Like, <laughs> why are you doing this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just, I just don't get it. So I'm kind of a bit of a grumpy old man when it comes to like all social media. Um, yeah. I mean, as you can tell from the, from the book, um, I think I've just become sort of like a, it's funny because it, my livelihood relies on them, but I've definitely become sort of a, a burn it all down kind of, kind of person. Yeah. Um, or at least exactly sort of where I am. Yeah. I'm just sort of an agnostic on the whole. It's like, just like, this just, let's just start over. We screwed up. Yeah, Cause, <laughs> cause it's a great idea and you know, it opens up so many avenues and particularly with the whole pandemic crisis that's going on at the moment. Like there's, there's a lot of opportunities for people to, to, you know, still make a living because of social media, but it's just like, it's just, if we used it properly, it'd be amazing. Um, but I guess yeah, that, I mean, what's depressing to me is that like, oh, sorry, um, it's, it's starting to zoom can be kind of funny. Um, what, what's depressing to me is that, that all these services, like, you know, they could be easily replicated with more ethical, transparent sort of inner workings. Um, and people have tried to like to do like sort of almost like a Wikipedia of of, of Facebook, you know. Um, but what's depressing is is people just don't sign up for it. It's, it. it's 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 like a monopoly that we we can't help ourselves, even though it's it would be perfectly um, smooth and relatively effortless to trans transition into something better. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny when we talk about the the failings of social media. I think they all fail on one particular area. And the reason I think this is because if you go to the only one that, I mean, it's not perfect, but the only one that to me doesn't have the problems of the others is Reddit. And mm. I honestly think the reason why Reddit works and the others don't is because it's anonymous. Now you would think that being anonymous would make it just a free for all and it'd just be horrible. But I think that it's actually the cult of celebrity and becoming a celebrity influencer that brings out the worst in people. Mm. And yeah, I think that's kind of like, to me, that's why Reddit works and the rest don't and why you can have a conversation with people on Reddit. I mean, some people I've had other people who you can't have a conversation with on Reddit, but you know, for the most part, you can have a conversation about something because people aren't worried about how people are going to perceive them and is it going to affect their celebrity status? And, you know, I think that's probably one of the big reasons why social media falls apart. Yeah, it's, it's true that, that Reddit is, um, yeah, somehow because of the anonymity, it sort of avoids the, the, the narcissist trap that we all can fall into. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Reddit, Reddit to me is, is an interesting one. I sort of had to learn it from doing comics. I never had used Reddit. Um, and I started using it just to post comics on, um, r slash comics. Um, yeah, it, it, to me, it has a totally different energy because it's, because you can downvote things. 
Because um, on every other social media, you just have the option of liking something or commenting that you hate it. Um, and on Reddit, there's this constant <laughs> like election process happening that's really interesting to watch unfold. Um, and yeah, so it tends to be like the front page of Reddit. I think it's interesting that it, you know, it tends to be things that everyone can agree on. Like, you know, like a, a I don't know, a funny video of a cat or something. Um, or just something that's just like undeniably funny. You know, it doesn't really matter who you are. Yeah. Uh, so that, yeah, that is a nice thing. That is a nice thing about Reddit. And I guess the, but it, you know, I guess it also has the, on subreddits, it certainly has the same echo chamber problem that everywhere, everywhere else does, even though it does have the downvote button, just because, you know, within that echo chamber, it's only going to be one type of person who's going to be exposed to the content. So, um, but yeah, they, they're all, they're all pretty interesting. I mean, to me, at least Reddit and Reddit and Twitter to me, at least have, um, a vague ethos behind them that even if, even when they have huge problems, which they both do, um, I, I feel a little more neutral about them than I do with, let's say, Facebook and Instagram, which to me are, you know, fall under Mark Zuckerberg's ethos, which is more about um, maximizing engagement to sell ads they, they seem very driven at that purpose um and that produces a very specific outcome in my view yeah no absolutely um but i guess that kind of brings me to a point that i wanted to discuss with you which was this idea that you know we are the the grumpy old men that can't stand social media or at least have a healthy healthy disdain might be a strong word, but a healthy um, appreciation for its downsides. Um, I'm being very political here, very, very politically <laughs> neutral. Um, but as people who don't love it and as people who can see the faults in it, like how did you navigate around that? Because that's something that I've found at the moment is, you know, getting to this point now where I'm like, okay, well, if I'm about to put work out, I need to actually be on social media and be active in order for people to actually find that work. So it's like, how do you do that when you're kind of like, Oh, I hate social media. Well, I don't know about you, but my, my relationship with social media in terms of, I think some of my distaste for it is also kind of self-loathing. Um, and I, you know, I kind of get into that in the book too, but like, um, I have a lot of disdain for it, but I have a complicated relationship with it now because I, I sort of associate it with so much like positive reinforcement and dopamine. Um, so even though I hate it, um, I'm definitely still, you know, addicted to it at various points. You know, I, I, it kind of comes in and out of um, being something that I feel like I have a good handle on. Um, so yeah, I, I like, I don't think, I haven't gotten to that that point um, for a very long period of time yet where I actually truly did not, um, check it or care. Um, I, I, I've had a few months like that, um, in a row where I was just like, wow, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, my goal would be to, um, the, the dream for me would be to have the self-discipline to, um, post a comic and never look to see what happened to it. Yeah, but that to me would easier be said than done. <laughs> easier said than done. But but you know it's funny. I, I had I had an interesting omen with that not that long ago, where I went to a um, 
I, it was, it was funny. It was after the 500 days of comics ended and I was still just kind of like, just kind of burnt out. Um, like it was such an amazing experience, but I was still just kind of, you know, it was sort of like hitting the brakes when you're going like 80 miles per hour. So you can't, I was kind of skidding for a while. <laughs> Didn't come to a clean stop. So I went to a meditation retreat and right before I went to this silent meditation retreat where you could not check your phone, um, right before I turned off my phone, I posted um, just, a, just a post on Instagram. There was like a string of uh, some of my favorite Candy Hearts comics, which are a series I keep coming back to. I just posted like five in one post um, as something people could swipe through. And five days later, when I turned my phone back on, I had like 70,000 new followers. And huh. it was an interesting moment for me because it it had all, or it was already had all washed up at that point. Um, it was all done. But I I was thinking about like how I would have been absolutely glued to my phone watching that. But instead I just like, you know, meditated for five days and and checked it afterwards and was just sort of had that feeling of instead of being wrapped up in it i was just like huh yeah and, and i you know and that's how it should be you know and i guess that's the thing like particularly when you're starting out on social media like you you know whether it's twitter or whether it's youtube or anything you, you focus so much on the numbers and the value, your entire value is, is based on these numbers and how many followers you have, how many subscribers you have. And, you know, you say, Oh, when I hit these milestones, I'm going to be so happy with that. And then of course you don't because you hit that milestone. You say, yeah, but I could be at this next milestone. And like, there's, right. there's always something that you want. There's always something more that you want from it. And that's why it's like, you can never really truly win social media like you know there's always going to be someone else who has more and you're going to envy them and you're going to want you know more of what they have so i through my experience now i actually started youtube just as a hobby like it was not intended to become famous or anything but you know i did become a little bit fixated on the numbers and like you know you'd you'd have a video come out and then you'd lose like 10 subscribers or something. And then you'd sit there pondering, you're like, well, what have I done? What have I done? And it's like, yeah, but it could be anything. It could be that YouTube's just purged some bots from, from the system. It could be anything. It doesn't necessarily have to be about you. Stop being so goddamn narcissistic. Um, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I know, I know the feeling you're describing and it's amazing how short your memory can be too, right? Like you'll, you'll have something that people really enjoy and then you're like, man, I'm just really killing it. And then the next thing you do just doesn't do as well. And it's like, it's like you are a complete failure. Always have been, always will be. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really like amazing. This amazing brain trick where we're, we're all treating something that is this sort of just made up, made up numbers and kind of, I mean, they're, they're real and only in as much as we allow them to be real. Um, but yeah, it's, it's amazing. We, we treat them almost as if they're like money or something. Yeah. It's like it's they're, really they're, our value is based on them, but I guess that's the thing that like, I took a step back, but I probably took too much of a step back because I sort of took a step back from it all and said, this is not healthy and it's not, it's not good for the creativity because, you know, you spend so much time focusing on Twitter and then focusing on YouTube and your comments and making sure you respond to all the comments and making sure you do this and that and this and the other thing and making videos and doing so much of this stuff that a lot of the creative stuff that I would love doing, I wasn't doing because I didn't have the time 
because it was all devoted to, you know, building up numbers and, and looking good, you know, on social media because you've got heaps of subscribers or something. And it's just like, I don't know, I guess I sort of went the, the route where I'm like, when I'm on my deathbed, am I going to say, I'm so glad I hit that subscriber count or I'm so glad I got this many followers on Twitter. I'm probably <laughs> not going to care, am I? There's probably a cartoon in that, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, the... Uh... <laughs> Yeah. And, the, and I mean, I've, I've definitely thought about this too. It's just like, you know, what if people just stop using one of the, the platform that you've been working on for so long, which they do, you know, all, all these giants kind of can come and go, you know, um, MySpace, I, mean, anyone? I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm thinking about in, in college, our band, we spent so much time and energy adding people and sending messages on MySpace. I mean, that, yep. that was like the way you, could become big as a band independently. And so we were doing it all the time. And I just remember this one day of being like, oh my God, MySpace doesn't matter anymore. And I was just thinking about the probably hundreds of hours that we spent yeah. um, on all that MySpace effort. So yeah, I mean, it's all a sandcastle. So um, I, I'm that- definitely trying to keep that in mind. And it's also, I think part of why I've just gotten used to the idea of every comic just goes on five different platforms at the same time. Yeah. And I think you've got to do that. You've got to cover all your bases because the thing is like it shifts and it, it will continue to shift. Like, um, you know, MySpace died and then all of a sudden every man and his dog was on Facebook, but now Facebook's filled with, you know, the Karens of the world. And then, you know, we, that's going to migrate and then, you know, it'll move to something else. And, you know, uh, there are quite a few people on Twitter who moved to TikTok and like, it's, it's a whole thing, but then yeah. TikTok's going through a thing at the moment where it might not exist anymore. So. Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, like, uh, I mean, a big, a hot topic in the web comics world that, um, is that now that I've become a web comic artist, I'm sort of, I've become friends with some, some artists from, from all over. I've never met in person. Um, and yeah, a hot topic with them is like Instagram used to be a really great place for web comics and they, I, we don't, nobody really knows what happened and they, they made no announcements about it, but it just became much, much worse algorithmically. Um, and they seemed really directed at trying to get web comic artists to pay to reach their own followers. That seems to be the end goal. Um, but there's been a lot of discussion to like how to beat the algorithm, you know, and I, I think, but yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's like, you kind of can't trust these platforms. So you kind of have to just do your thing and, and just do it. Try, on not, all try not to get too wrapped up in it, you know, which is easier said than done. But, but do you think that's the Instagram thing? Do you think that was the moment when Facebook took over? Like you think that was a deliberate thing? It, it was kind of slow, um, but yeah, the rumor has it that the heads, so when Instagram got purchased by Facebook, uh, it was still pretty normal for a long time. And then uh, apparently the founders of Instagram resigned in, in protest. And I think that was like, people theorized that was kind of like when the wall, when the dam broke and they sort of Facebook, Facebookified um, Instagram and made it so like, basically there's no organic reach and you have to pay to reach your followers. Um, now they they, they kind of keep you on an interesting like leash on Instagram, let's say, um, where it's just enough to make it worth it to yeah, to kind of so, keep so trying to grow. So you won't leave. It. You won't leave, but it's like the more followers you get, you know, there, there's like a weird throttling effect where it's like 
if you have twice the number of followers, you might only get 10% more people looking at it. But if I mean, I, I guess that's the same as um, the whole YouTube thing. And, you know, the keywords that get you demonetized and all that stuff. Like there's some shady right. stuff going on there. Right. Like That is a know, platform I have not explored. <laughs> it's, it's got some interesting stuff in it. Like there's some keywords and some of them are not remotely an issue at all, but it's like, well, are you just trying to demonetize people so that you can take the profit from the ad revenue? Cause you don't stop the ads. You keep them going. You just, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. it's, there's some dicey stuff going on there. So I think you're right that you have to kind of like hedge your bets and, and kind of keep all of them open. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And it, it's just, it's, and it, it's almost so surprising when you see platforms pop up um, that, you actually kind of, you actually like cam trust, <laughs> like um, they're not social media, but um, I've just been, I just love Bandcamp as like a, as far as like a, a, as like a tech thing goes, like, you know, they just sell MP3s and they've added features, but it's always done pretty fairly. They're always really transparent about what they're doing. And it's, oh, it's almost shocking to see like, yeah. <laughs> like a free web service. It's like honest about what's happening. <laughs> it's so honest that you're skeptical that like, what's your angle? What are you doing? Yeah. It's so honest <laughs> that nobody uses it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so honest. We're, we're so used to being burnt by the big companies that we're kind of just like, just have this constant it. skepticism. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that's absolutely true. Um, so I guess getting back to comics and talking about comics, um, how, how do you find it working with sort of visual storytelling? Like I know you work with words, with captions and stuff like that, but obviously you work with a very minimal amount of words. So you've got to convey a lot in one drawing. And obviously being that it's not like a graphic novel, you can't have too much detail. So like how, how do you go conveying everything that needs to be told in that one panel just through through images yeah i mean i feel like that's something i've learned through trial and error and it kind of depends you know so, some, sometimes my comics can be like way too wordy um and yeah sometimes they're they, they barely you know they don't have any extra words at all but yeah visual storytelling is like it's interesting with a single panel and even more interesting when you consider the, f the, the format they're being consumed in, which is largely a, you know, a phone. So it's very small and you're um, you have to convey your point pretty quickly. Um, so yeah, I've just sort of, I think by, by, by the nature of the, the format it's being consumed in um, just learn to try and use as few words as possible and not get too wrapped up in, um, sort of details of, of setting the scene, you know, like if there's a, you know, a, a living room or something, does it need the, the dishware, the China, you know, the China set, does it need the, you know, is the dog in the back? Like, does, does that even, does that add to the joke? You know? Um, Cause I've had this, ex this funny experience of like, um, particularly with the, the candy hearts ones are, are always interesting for me. Cause I set up this um, notion uh, in the first few that I did that it was supposed to be these, you know, walking, talking candy hearts that are in very realistic, like almost photorealistic locations. 
Um, but what's strange is I just, I, I'm still stuck on that because I like the aesthetic of it. But I've noticed that when I show them to people without the backgrounds, it doesn't see, it doesn't seem to make any difference. Like if there's a detailed background, how long they spend looking at it. It's still a, a three second. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and know, I guess like, you kind of like, no, 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 no. Look at it longer. Cause do you know how long yeah. it took me to do this? <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. But yeah, the thing about web comics that, you know, for better and for worse, it teaches you not to be too precious about um, making it absolutely perfect. Cause you know, and, and what I found is that like a lot of the cartoons I'd drawn pretty hastily to post, post on social media. And it only took till making this book that I kind of went back and redrew most of them, or at least did significant changes because you'd kind of zoom in and be like, wow, I drew that quick. Yeah. <laughs> You know, but I don't think a lot, I think a lot of the comics, people wouldn't even notice that they're different than what they saw online because the, you know, the gist of it was the same and it was only, you know, two square inches in their hand, you know? Yeah. But I guess that's, um, that's kind of a, an interesting takeaway from, from that story that kind of applies to all creative endeavors, whether you're making a movie or a book or, or anything like that, that, you know, sometimes less is more. Yeah, sometimes less is more. And also, like, I think I've, I, um, the webcomics web for me were an interesting case study in, like, what happens if you don't swim upstream and you just swim downstream? Because I, I, I think my experience as a musician on social media was just like, you know, mu music on social media is like nailing a square peg into a round hole. It's just not, the medium is not designed for it. It's not designed for people to like sit down with a pair of headphones and really like listen to something and music isn't a visual medium which pretty much all of social media is just for visuals right yeah um and sometimes audio but only only if it accompanies the visual the visual so um yeah web comics for me were an attempt to be like okay i know that pictures are the thing i'm good at drawing what happens if i just make pictures like make what the medium is designed for and it was really interesting to watch the difference because um yeah with music if like if if my band is coming out with a new record it is really hard to get the word out um on social media uh, just because it doesn't do well with the algorithm to have non-visual or not you know titillating meme kind of content but with comics it's just it's like tailor-made for the medium it's kind of like I feel like single panel comics in the era of memes are kind of having like this weird resurgence because <laughs> you know, what, what are, what are single, I mean, I don't remember if I put this one in the book, but I had a comic that was um, a, a picture of like an FBI guy, um, you know, holding up a, a badge and a notice from Getty images. And it was just, it just says like, you know, single, uh memes are just single panel comics with with severe copyright violations <laughs> and that's kind of what they are you know and it's so I, i've noticed that my comics tend to get mixed in with uh memes these days like um you know they 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 almost won't get popped in with other comics that are doing like multi-panel stuff they'll just get thrown into meme accounts that post <laughs> you know but, getty images but there are also um there are multi-panel memes as well true they're not True. as common, but that they, they do exist. 
No, it's true. And, and, and actually very common is two panel memes where it's like mm. one thing and then two thing, you know. And it'll be like some video that went viral and it'll be two screenshots from it and it'll be comparing two things or something. So yeah, exactly. Or like I that guess, Drake meme is like a two panel comic, I guess. Yeah. And that that's the kind of, um, I don't want to say evolution because I, I feel like it's not the next step in comics, but it's like, it's definitely an offshoot of that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, the great thing about, um, I don't know, the great thing about comics is that it's like a meme that people feel um, more sophisticated for sharing. <laughs> so I feel like there's an advantage there because people are like, this is actual art. You know? yeah. Someone actually took longer than five seconds to make this. Yeah, hey, someone traced a meme, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> So yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's really uh, visual storytelling in the age of the internet. Um, it's funny how it kind of comes full circle in that way, right? Where, where you know, memes really now have a lot more in common with, um, I don't know, more, more in common with like <laughs> Marmaduke <laughs> than they do with like, I, like a sophisticated webcomic from the early 2000s or something. Yeah, and, and that's why, look, I think we need more web comics like yours um, that are making those same statements, but just doing it in a way that's actually funny. Cause I think we're, and that's why I didn't want to call memes the, the next evolution because I think they're not, I think like they've had their day and I think they're just kind of not funny anymore. Most of them, at least. I mean, there's very few of them that I look at and I'm like, Oh, that's funny. It's like, I guess the difference between, most web comics or at least successful web comics and memes is that anyone can come up with a meme and kind of like when studios will make a movie and all the fans turn around and say, Oh, I know how to fix this movie. It's like, no, you don't, you don't know how that right, works. Right. And, and you yeah. know, these people coming up with memes, it's like, you're not a cartoonist. You, you don't get what's funny. Like I know being funny is subjective, but you are just objectively not funny. Although on the, on the other side, I have seen memes where I've just gone like, damn, that would have made a good comic. Yeah. Can I steal that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you can't because, yeah, it's, it's weird because if you, even though it's like a thing of stolen images and probably a stolen idea from somewhere else, if you yeah. then made a comic based on it, people would be like, you stole Everyone that. Everyone <laughs> would know because it's social media. Yeah, exactly. Um, in fact, I've been accused of, I remember uh, there were a couple of times where people were like, that was already done in this meme. And it was like a meme I'd never seen, obviously. But, yeah, but like, it um, is conceivable that two people could come up with the same idea and not know each other or have ever. Right. I have to remind a lot of people of that because they'll kind of, I, th I, th I think there's a lot of people who, when they see a similar concept of a, of a, a humor concept that kind of is similar to something else they've seen, they, they immediately go like, you ripped this off. And it's like, well, you know, right now we've got the internet hive mind of, you know, 10 billion people and, you know, maybe 500 million people uh, who are self-proclaimed comics who are all making jokes about the exact same thing. It's Although, like that perfect experiment of like the monkeys with the typewriter, you know, it's like <laughs> the same joke is going to be made 30 times, you know? Yeah. Well, though it kind of makes me laugh the irony that, um, social media would be would be talking about um repeating other people's thoughts because like isn't that like the whole point like <laughs> right, right, right. just go and bleat the same things that everyone else is saying yeah totally um so was there anything else that you wanted to talk about the any particular aspects of creating comics or or anything that that works for you in particular 
Oh, well, I feel like I gave away the, the dirtiest secret, which is just that the, the like a tablet makes things a lot easier. <laughs> I, I do need to get into that. I really do. Because I, I, I find something, I don't know, it's not something that I'm, I'm necessarily willing to pursue commercially, but it's like, it, there's just something therapeutic about sitting down and drawing. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm just like, I'd love to do that and then do it in a digital way. And it's just, it's learning a new skill. It's just, you know, keeping my brain active at a time when, you know, we're all going insane because we're not allowed to go outside or do anything. (laughs) I know. I know. I, 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 and I do think you would, I do think you would enjoy it. And especially if you got one of those screens that gives it a, a little bit of texture because it, it really does. It really feels like ice skating with a, with a pen without it. Cause you're just on this glass screen, like slipping around. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I'm just, um, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, thrilled you asked me to be on the podcast and, um, excited to have my, uh, it's my debut, my debut book. Um, it's been a weird journey to becoming a, a comics artist and, uh, I'm just, super excited to finally get the first, the first volume out into the world. Well, I have a feeling like you mentioned it in the book, but I can't remember. Um, like what was the length of time that it took for you to go from, I'm going to do at the time, 365 um, comics to 500 comics at what, how long did it take to go from that concept to this book being published? Um, so I finished the 500 days of comics project last July. Um, so it was actually, it was a pretty fast turnaround. Um, and honestly it would have been faster if I, if I just didn't, I needed, I needed a break. Um, but I started talking to my publisher who Andrews McNeil, who have just been awesome to work with, um, last like a fall a year ago. Um, and yeah, just, uh, got it, got the whole book kind of assembled and all the essays written and everything redrawn, um, earlier this year, back in March. Um, so it was a pretty quick turnaround from the end of the, I guess, from the end of the comics project to when I submitted the finished book, it was only, I guess, nine months, eight, eight or nine months. It's not a bad effort. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, honestly, like, putting the book together was so much easier than 500 days of comics. So it actually felt like a breath of fresh <laughs> See, like air. I've done the hard work now. I've just got to get this bit out. Well, I guess the thing that, um, that that sort of makes me think of is I've been asking everyone that lately, sort of like what, how long did it take for you to create this particular thing and, and get it out there? And I know we're talking comics and novels and they're two completely different things, but um, the, answers that I've been getting have been so much faster than the advice would tell you. Like so much advice out there says, you know, you've got to work at your craft for 10 years in order to get this. And, and, you know, but then I've spoken to so many people who they've just gone out, they've done it and it's taken them a few years, but it hasn't taken them 10 years. And I think it's, I don't know how that works in the web comic world, but a lot of the advice that is given is either maybe outdated because it's from a time without social media or it's people that just don't know what they're talking about. Um, so like, do you find that, I know, I know you didn't have a lot to do with it going in, but have you found even now uh, people offering advice that you think is questionable on webcomics or is that just not a thing to be offering advice? 
Um, you know, I think for me, it's just like the internet to me, I mean, the value of making art on the internet that makes it unique from other previous forms is that um, it's, it's just, it, you can put out everything and there's no penalty for doing that. You know, previously in other eras, it, it would be like, why would you put out a bad CD? You should only put out a good CD. But in the internet era, you're kind of just throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks and you're not really punished for doing that. Um, so I, I, there's something, it, it does mean that the quality of things can be lower on average on the internet than maybe if you're perusing a bookstore or something like that. But the benefit of it is that it really allows you to kind of have a sandbox to play in. So that would be my advice to people. It's just not to, don't be as precious about starting a webcomic as if you were writing a book because you'll find out what people like and what you like by making mistakes and just just putting it all out there and seeing what ends up resonating with you and what ends up resonating with other people. And I guess that's the thing because because webcomics are such small chunks like, you know, yet you did 500, you know, in 500 days. And that is amazing. That is a huge feat, but it's taken one small chunk at a time. So I guess, you know, you couldn't put up a chapter of a book and then see what people think and then put up the next one. You like, you can't do that, but because you're working in such small chunks, I guess you can, you know, look for that feedback and, and improve. So I guess it, it is that different, um, that different process. Yeah. Well, this is something follow. I was surprised by, cause I think, uh, you know, when I was probably a hundred, 150 days into the project I envisioned, I was like, oh man, I should put out a 500 page book. You know, that's just the whole project like unedited. And then when I finished and kind of looked back, I was like, I definitely should not do that. <laughs> <laughs> just because there were so many that I was like, you know, it, to me, like what was really interesting was that it took till the last, I mean, I would say that 70% of the book is from the last 150 days. Um, it but, just took that long to kind of like warm up into it. Yeah. But then in saying that, I guess the fact that you were able to cultivate that audience to get to that last 150 days should suggest that you sort of knew what you were doing from the beginning. Cause you were, you were managing to bring people in. I was managing to bring people in, but you know, I, I you know, just for a simple, just to give like a little bit of context, like, you know, I think, you know, probably 200, 250 days in, I might've had like 15,000 followers on Instagram. And then um, it just snowballed when I started putting out high quality, higher quality stuff, to be honest. Um, so it just took like finding a few things that really like, you know, just like learning joke writing that like once I kind of figured out what my voice was, um, people kind of came to it a lot more organically. Cause before that, I was just sort of like, I think it was maybe trying a little too hard. Like it, it's, it's not like they were, they were more labored or anything like that, but they were definitely like, um, it's like, I just hadn't found what I wanted to say exactly yet. Well, it's, it's kind of funny that you say that. Cause it makes me think of things that have happened for me on social media and, and stuff like that. And I tried, you know, playing by all of the rules that everyone said, and you've got to do this and you've got to do that and you've got to do that. And I spent so much time on social media, but ironically, when I took a step back and just started 
being a little bit more casual with it, I actually had more people coming to me and responding than when I was trying super hard to be on there all the time. So like, I think there is something to be said for just sort of like taking a breather and not taking it as seriously, which I guess is the coming back to the lesson that you had about not being so precious about your work. It's that, it's that taking a step back can actually just help it immensely. Yeah. And I'm not saying like make, subpar stuff i'm more just yeah. saying like we're not saying coast <laughs> yeah i'm just saying like the the medium allows you to not filter yourself quite as intensely as you would you know with a sort of tactile object so it, that's like but to me that's like a structural it's an advantage and disadvantage but you know you might as well lean into the things that make the the format unique and if you're not really sure what kind of you know like let's say you're starting a webcomic you're not really sure what you want to say great just just try everything <laughs> no one's yeah. no one's gonna well, punish you for that you know and i guess that's the thing because i mean i've i've kind of bashed social media pretty heavily during this so i might say something nice about it <laughs> um but that is the the positive that's come out of social media is that like say for example if you were given a you know job at a newspaper making comics and like back in the day if it wasn't working you couldn't keep going. They'd say, all right, well, we're going to let you go. Whereas you could keep going while you were perfecting everything, while you were, you were, you know, developing your voice. And then you had that extra time to do that. Whereas if it was a job at a newspaper or something, you wouldn't have been able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the gatekeeper on the internet is you. So that's liberating and terrifying <laughs> at the yeah, same time. Equal parts. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. It has been such a great conversation. Thanks for having me. And uh, so, so glad you liked the book. Yeah, no, it was amazing. So where can people find you? Uh, people can find me under my own name across social media, which is Tommy Siegel, S-I-E-G-E-L. Um, and they can find me. Um, I mean, I guess, I guess not. Um, I won't be physically hanging out in bookstores, but hopefully your local bookstore might stock the book. And if they don't, um, I guess you could always <laughs> call them or order it online. 